With that, I'd like to introduce our head football coach, Carl Durrell. Have one goal in mind, which is to bring a championship. With a trick play, they've got Nixon behind the D. He's gonna go. They give it off on the end around the Lavisca Chanel, who runs over the top of a defender. Sideline ball shut off. It is Side Manga made the first man miss. Stayed on his feet for the touchdown. Welcome back to episode 24 of the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. The, uh, for this week only, biggest UCLA Bruin podcast fan in the country. Uh, <laughs> after <laughs> after this last week's outcome, um, Buffs are sitting at 4-0, beat Arizona to become 4-0. I mean, this is the first time we've won our first four conference games in who knows how long. Yeah, well, um, three, first three conference games, first four Oh yeah, shoot! I keep forgetting yeah. that San Diego State. Came yeah, to play. they weren't they weren't conference, but that's okay. But yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, if you haven't, if you've been living under a, a rock, the reason why uh, we want you at UCLA to win this week, um, because if CU wins against Utah on Friday, uh, that means that they will be four and zero in the conference, and USC, if they were to beat UCLA, would be 5-0 in the conference, which means they would get an automatic bid into the Pac-12 championship, even though uh, we had no issues of COVID on our end, and it was because USC and ASU couldn't get their shit together. <laughs> so that, that's kind of why we're pulling for UCLA this week, but uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be listening to this and saying, well, we got to take care of business at Utah first. Which is true. Which is true. It is true, but... Um, we also I mean if we do, then we gotta hope for the best when it comes to UCLA, which uh I think UCLA has a good shot at that game in anyways. Uh but before we kind of touch on on the UCLA USC madness, uh again, bus one, four and oh. Feels really good. I know we were talking about it, how neither of us really expected us to be anywhere near this at any point in the season. Um I, I think I had said that three wins was less likely than like one win or something in our first podcast. So things are looking a lot better than we all thought about five, six weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, I had said four wins was our ceiling. And I think I had said over, over seven games and they have four wins over four games. They've got at least two more games left. So it's uh, pretty incredible. <laughs> Honestly, I yeah. don't think there's any other way to say it. Like, I don't think there was anyone who was being realistic who thought that the Buffs had the ability to do this this year. Just with everything that they had to face, all the all the adversity. I mean, I, I know that they had some talent going in. Anyone who really knew the Buffs knew, particularly on defense, like, they had some talent. So, but, you know, I, I don't think anyone thought it would manifest this way. Yeah, I don't think anybody, especially, and to kind of culminate it all off, we had a guy playing quarterback for the first time in five years. Right, which right. I don't think many guys can, or many, not many guys, many teams around the country can ever say they've had to deal with something like that. Um, but 24 to 13, Buffs ended up winning. Obviously, for everyone that was watching, 
which I'm assuming everybody listening here probably did. <laughs> we kind of got manhandled in the first quarter. It was, I mean, they, they took advantage of the run game and for the first time pretty much all year, anyone's really been able to run the ball on us. We were a little bit slow to get it going on offense. Things weren't looking great. But I don't think at any point I was ever like really worried about us full on losing the game. I think we are all just kind of having some Arizona prior year PTSD flashbacks where they kind of put it together for one game every year. And that game always just happens to be us. But after the first quarter, I mean, really kind of pulled it together. And obviously we we know how it ended up now. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I was worried because... I mean, when you really think about it, right, the one thing that I said last week that I was like, well, the one thing we know about this team is that they can stop the run. And then Arizona ran for like over 100 yards in one quarter. So um, I I definitely was a little nervous that like that wasn't like, I don't know, it just wasn't going to be their night or something. Like I just had this feeling of, wow, they're going to play so poorly today that they're going to lose to this terrible Arizona team and then everything is going to feel so much worse even though even even if if they had won three games and those are the only three games that they win the rest of the year like um I think people would be frustrated because of how the year started but it, it wouldn't be a loss a lost season by any means you know no um but yeah I definitely had that feeling of dread of like oh no here we go like here comes another another game against Arizona where we're going to get totally stomped on but um yeah thankfully they turned it around pretty quick and after the first quarter uh Arizona never scored again so yeah well I mean they, so they scored they got that field goal right at the beginning of the second oh, quarter Oh was that the beginning of the second quarter okay But yeah I mean it was due to the drive that it started in the at the end of the first right, so I mean that right. yeah pretty much for an entire three quarters they didn't do anything worthwhile on offense and it should be it should be mentioned for anyone that didn't know Akil Jones was actually not playing uh, on Saturday because he welcomed the birth of it was his, it was his son the right? son yeah I believe yeah uh, he's welcoming the birth of his son so he wasn't even there which meant uh, John Van Deest Van Dyce I, I always go back and forth on how you're supposed to say it uh, was stepping in for him um, and so was Quinn Perry as well and I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, other than that first quarter, though, I mean, the defense, again, looked like they made giant leaps from week one and two to week three and four, which is, I don't know if that's like a Tyson Summers specialty, just like starting the year off slow and kind of kicking in the gear as the games go on. I'd prefer it to be like kind of start to finish. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, they essentially shut Arizona down completely in the, in the, from the second quarter on, which was. Really nice to see, especially because, again, for the second week in a row, the offense wasn't necessarily firing on all cylinders. So, I mean, as far as that goes, I, I mean, I, could, I couldn't be more pumped about the fact that they came back from being down 14, or was it, it was 13-0, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, 13-0, obviously. <laughs> um, and after that, I mean, the, that was the first time I think the announcer said we had been down by more than a touchdown all year. And the way they kind of handled that was really impressive to me, which I don't think we've seen anything like that from a CU team aside from 2016 in quite a while. Yeah, I mean, they really kind of, it was almost like they were just a little shell-shocked to start the game. Like, I just, I I don't know if they just thought they were going to roll over Arizona and then, 
you know, got a little got a little surprise there in the early going. But once they settled down and and calmed down, they the defense really was was awesome. I mean, I don't think there was any point in this game where I really felt like the offense was great. I mean, obviously Jarek Broussard was incredible, and we'll touch on him more <laughs> more in a minute. But um, definitely, just being able to see the defense like start to really get after it. I just think they they kind of have more of an identity now. Like they've kind of figured out what they are and, and how their game plan works. Um, and, you know, Carson Wells and Nate Landman just continue to be absolute monsters. So that definitely helps. Yeah. I mean, both of those guys, Nate Landman, especially, I mean, Nate Landman, I think at this point has got to be in the legitimate conversation for the Ben Narek award. Am I, am I wrong on that? Or Well, no, I mean, He's definitely one of the best linebackers in the country. The question is whether or not only playing six games or whatever seven games is is going to stop him from from getting the production or whatever that he needs for it. But yeah, he definitely is. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been amazing. Not to mention just the he's. I feel like if you just created a really old school linebacker in a lab somewhere, it would come out as Nate Landman, like. <laughs> He's got the neck roll. They had that that video of him on the sidelines where like his knee was bloody and he had two bloody scrapes on his forehead, but he was just like smiling and happy to be out on the field, you know. So, um, he's yeah, he's been incredible. And Carson Wells has really stepped up this year. Both of those guys. I mean, Nate Lehman, like I said, bloody knee, bloody bloody head. Carson Wells had blood on his helmet. Like it just felt like a really old school like we're just gonna beat the hell out of you kind of kind of defense from those two especially um Uh which was fun to watch yeah one thing i've kind of i mean not kind of i've really noticed at least since i've been really focusing on it is we still don't really have an elite pass rusher but i think tyson summers has kind of countered that by dialing up pressure at the right times uh, I'm not saying he's called perfect games by any means, but I mean, you could almost say the second through fourth quarter of this game and then pretty much the entire San Diego State game, he almost did call a perfect game. I mean, he's got blitz packages coming at all the right times on the right passing downs, and it's not really leaving out our secondary to dry, which is kind of impressive, I think, considering most teams that get the kind of pressure that that we've been getting usually have that one guy that's just like oh you got a game plan around him you know what I mean yeah it definitely I mean if you just even look at the numbers like they the buffs had five sacks today and they were spread out among five different people um so I feel like that kind of says that that shows you right there kind of how he does things like he's generating pressure from different players at different times which is awesome and it seems like it's worked I mean I know Rakestraw didn't get a sack, but at one point he was in the backfield and forced, I think he forced uh, Plummer towards Nate Landman in the end, but, um, you know, it was his pressure that, that got him there. So kind of everyone seems to take part in it a little bit. Like you never know any, any player on that field could be, could be coming for the quarterback at any given time, which is fun. But yeah. And I, I think part of, part of them not getting caught has been the corners have started to play a lot better. I mean, obviously I know you texted me at one point, like get your head around. Um, but like, <laughs> like, I mean, Blackman, I know Makai Blackman has played, seems like he's played better, especially the last two weeks. 
Um, and Christian Gonzalez seems like he's really coming around, uh, shaping in, shaping in a form already. I mean, he's still, still a true freshman, but I feel like I haven't even heard about him the last couple of games, which is a sign of a, of a good corner. Um, really it's just the safeties that, that kind of are still lagging behind a little bit, but otherwise the defense has been really, really, really solid. So that's been promising. Yeah. I mean, you, you brought it up. That was really the only negative I had coming into this about the defense was again, the, the pass interference kind of bites us in the ass. Honestly, the only team I'd be really worried about that being an issue with would be the one team that we might not even get a chance to prove it against, which would be USC. And by might not, I mean, I mean, there's like a minimal chance that they would even do anything to, to switch around the USC or, I mean, there, I mean, well, I mean, we're already Tuesday at this point we're recording. There's no way they're going to switch it. Um, I mean, th- that's really the only team I could see that being a major issue with because not only do they have the kind of offense where you're going to be dropping into coverage 40, 50 times a game, they also have a quarterback who injury possibility or, or not, he's smart enough to kind of put you in situations where you're going to be flagged for that. So, I mean, I don't, we might not ever have to really worry about it too much this year. Um, if it's something that we have to kind of worry about in the future, that's going to be a whole different story. But yeah, I mean, other than that, the, the last two games, I've been thoroughly impressed with the defense and, and Tyson Summers, just the way they played the games and how they've been able to kind of keep the team in the game when the offense hasn't really been clicking at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of really flipped since the first two games. You know, the offense just coming out hot, dominating whoever they were playing, and then the defense kind of hanging on for dear life. And then the last two games have been the polar opposite. Like, the defense just hanging in there and and keeping keeping the game in in reach for the offense to start to get it going so you know hopefully at one point we'll get both of them going at the same time and then we'll really really kill somebody but um until then you know this is still it's been good it's worked out for him i'll say that it's worked out yeah i mean i would almost say that kind of Obviously, again, the players are the the main key points here, but I feel like that's like a coaching thing that we just haven't really seen in a while, being able to win no matter how it comes to us. Yeah. I mean, again, 2016 aside, I feel like at any point when you're talking about bus football right now, you just got to take 2016 out because it was such an anomaly. Um, You just can't, like, I I can't recall when the last time it was where I was, where I was like watching a game and one side of the ball wasn't working and the other side just completely took over and not only happened just one time in a season, but multiple times in one season. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's kind of hard to say. I'd have to really look back at, at the history, but definitely not, not on a consistent basis. I guess part of me feels a little bit like, like that's, that's the good way of looking at it, which I think bus fans should look at it that way because I mean, come on, this is Colorado we're talking about. Like, we're all just happy to have some success right now. But, yeah. um, you know, there's the other side of it, too, which is, like, we did just have a quarterback throw for under 100 yards and throw two picks. And the offense <laughs> in the first quarter scored zero points and really didn't look like scoring any points at any point. So, you know, you want to get that stuff ironed out for sure. But definitely happy with how the teams have been able the team's been able to adjust um and and kind of get their way either hang on to leads or or in this case come back from down 13 and really dominate from that point on pretty much i mean they outscored them 24 to nothing so it was 
it it wasn't the kind of domination that I was expecting going in. I mean, I think everyone was kind of overconfident with this one, but it yeah. it it was definitely from the moment that Arizona kicked that field goal to go up thirteen nothing. The Buffs really dominated the rest of that game, the final three almost three quarters. So, yeah, I mean, well. I think as bad as Arizona, or as bad as we like to say Arizona is, and we like to make fun of them for for being the worst team in the pack, um, especially the last two weeks have shown that while we don't have that elite team that's going to even get remotely close to the playoffs or would make noise if they got in, I think the Pac-12 in general is probably the most competitive interconference Power 5 group in the country Am I way off base in saying that? or I mean, I think it's kind of showed this year. Yeah, I guess you can argue about the quality of the play overall, but definitely, I mean, Stanford just beat Washington, you know? Washington was 3-0. Yeah. Oregon just lost their second game in a row. Um, like, it's, yeah, it's all over the place. I mean, I don't, the fact that there are two undefeated teams on one side of the division is is kind of crazy considering how this year has been but yeah everyone else like everyone has their their losses and their wins you know Oregon Washington look dominant one week and then get beat the next so I would say yeah it's definitely mm-hmm. competitive I mean outside of Arizona really um everyone else has looked like winning some football games so yeah, it's 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 been definitely competitive for sure. If that's the word that you want to use, balanced or competitive for sure. The quality, like I said, I don't I don't know. Yeah, quality might be up, for but <laughs> definitely competitive. Yeah, um, I mean let's let's get into our our man Jarek Broussard. I mean, I feel like we're a broken record at this point. Yeah, but this guy is insane. I mean, he he came out of nowhere. Similar to Sam Neuer, but I mean, he's kept it up for four straight games where he has just looked like the best player on the field, aside from Nate Lehman. Um, every game, I mean, he has taken over every single game, at least not maybe not for the entire stretch of the game, but there have been quarters where he just has taken over games completely. And this game, he obviously had his best game of his career 25 carries, 301 yards, 12 yard average. He had a, a run of 75, a run of 50 plus. He might, did he have two of 50 plus? Uh, he had, yeah, he did. He had a, yeah, because yeah, he had, he had the seven, the first one that was that 75 yarder. And then, yeah, he had like the 59 or whatever it was. And then I think he had a 60 something in there too. So, yeah, I mean, the only thing I feel bad for him about is he didn't get to finish a touchdown on any of his long runs no. or any of the drives that he carried no. the team But I mean, on. you know, he's tired, man. Like, to, to expect that guy to go back out there and, and try to punch it in the end zone, I feel like it's a little tough. But, yeah, I think that's one thing we did learn about Jarek Broussard. At least with the knee brace on, he is more quick than fast, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he's he's quick. He identifies the gaps quickly. He hits them quickly. He's, like, got good cuts, good jukes and stuff like that, but... Stays on his feet. Stays on his feet. He's got really good balance. Um, And, you know, but he definitely, like, especially the first one, that first 75-yarder, when he broke free, I was like, oh, touchdown at first. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they kind of caught up to him. And and I do think part of that, and the coaches even acknowledged it, is, like, until he's not 
a hundred percent he's very very close but until he really sheds that knee brace like he his top speed is kind of limited a little bit which makes sense to me Mm -hmm. um so yeah i feel bad for him a little that he was caught there but still i mean he went for 300 yards which you just can't i mean you can't disregard how incredible that is and he has i believe the highest yardage total of any back for cu through their first four games ever so yeah He's a, he's an elite company. I mean, it's like it's like Rashawn Salam, Chris Brown, Eric Bieniemy, Byron Wizard White, Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, like it's like unreal how well he's played for the first four games. Yeah, and you also have to think those guys also had some non-conference games in there, which I'm pretty sure all of them probably played against Colorado State. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a, true. That's a joke of a team. Um, <laughs> They, they all play I – mean, these are all conference games aside from San Diego State. But San Diego State, going into that game, had a top 10 rush defense in the country. Yeah. So, I mean, he's doing this against, like, like some solid defenses. Um, and and kind of to, to allude to that knee brace thing, what what I was thinking of, and somebody I think brought it up, brought it up on all buffs, is I very vividly remember a couple of times – I want to say it was either 2015 – I think it's 2015 where Philip Lindsay broke through the line of scrimmage and he was like, he looked like he was going to score an easy touchdown and then got caught from behind. And for everyone that doesn't remember, Philip Lindsay also had tore up his knee in high school. And so I think, I think it was 2015 that when I'm thinking like of this, before he, he, he was playing at his highest level, you mean? Yeah, and then 2016, 2017, we had a, we I think he had 75 yard runs in bowl seasons, and you saw that he had that breakaway speed finally, which it took him a while to get back, but he finally got it back, and I think that we're kind of seeing that first couple of years of Jared Brassard. I mean, again, think he just got back from a knee injury last year, so he who he I mean I remember a lot of the the ranting about him was how quick and fast he was coming out of high school. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see something similar where in, in a year's time, two years' time, we see him finishing those 75-yard runs instead of getting caught from behind. Yeah, I mean, that's the hope, right, is that as he gets healthier, he can break out even more. I mean, it's crazy to say that because he's having an incredible year. But, yeah, yeah. instead of having 301 yards or whatever and, and no touchdowns, he has 350 and three touchdowns. So exactly. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see. I I mean, I think everyone is excited for just like the future of Jarek Broussard and where he's going to end up in terms of like overall Colorado legends, you know? Yeah. I mean, again, for again, we assuming if he weren't didn't want to like leave early or anything, which that's a discussion for a different time. He's going to be a sophomore, quote unquote, again next year. So. I mean, we could get him for another three years after this, which would be chef's kiss. I'm doing the, I'm doing the emotion right yeah. now. Chef's kiss. We could get him for three more years. But other than, I mean, other than Jarek Broussard, who obviously had a crazy game, when your quarterback goes 12-19 for only 92 yards, obviously there aren't going to be very many uh, good games from a receiver. Um, so, I mean, the, the the highest number of receiving yards is to meet Stanley 44. There were a few drops in there. Yeah, there were. So it's not all it's not all on Neuer. Um, but Ashad Clayton also had himself uh, a decent game. He only touched the ball four times, but he got twenty four yards and he, he finished touchdowns on two of Jared Brassard's long runs. So I mean I think all Buffs fans were kind of excited to see him finally get a chance because 
as we've all seen in previous weeks, Joe Davis and Jaron Mangum kind of just weren't doing it. Yeah, you know, I I still, like, the whole running back comparison is hard. I feel like there are things that, that, like, Darian Hagan and and the coaches see. I mean, there has to be that they that they value with Joe Davis because he gets a lot of a lot of carries that um I feel like are surprising to us especially after Rashad was like the number two back in the first half for whatever reason and then never came back um yeah which was which was strange because he did he looked super good and he looked like a good um I don't know change of pace compared to to Jarek you know he's a bigger running back probably runs with a little bit more power as opposed to like quickness um and yeah he 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 came through I mean he scored scored two touchdowns and had 24 yards so uh I was I was surprised and and I think you were too I think a lot of people were that he didn't come back in so I hope in the future we can see some more of him just like being the number two guy because they did keep Jarek under 30 carries in this game which makes it even even crazier that he got 300 yards but right. um but you know so that's that's really good that you know it, that that's going to save him like durability wise if they can get that number two guy and I feel like Ashad could could be that guy yeah I mean who knows this might all become a moot point once Fonko yeah comes back, yeah that's which, true I mean, it sounds sounds like we're probably not going to see him this season um not not that i've heard anything new necessarily but just at this point you've only got two games left i can't imagine that he'll be coming back if he hasn't played it to this point in the season yeah so i mean next year we'll probably have a clear one too which i again after the year he's had i'd be surprised if we come out of next year with depth chart saying font no one brassard two i imagine it's gonna be the other way around yeah it has it has um, to be i mean as good as good as font was last year he was never what brassard is right now so right yeah. not even like it was well, like yeah he I mean, font was dependable and good but he was not like a game changer which jared brassard has proven to be over the course of four years yeah. I mean, did you see that stat that came out that said two thirds of Jarek Broussard's yards have come after contact? After contact, yeah. <laughs> because he just doesn't. I mean, even even on like I think on every one of his big runs, um, you know, I mean, his first one, like there was a good gap created by the offensive line there, but he still like once he got eight yards in, he you know they they swiped at his legs and he started to stumble and then he just regained his balance and ran for seventy more yards or whatever it was. So, I mean, he's been he's been incredible, and he's been a guy that if you just watch, like you can see the difference that having him in there makes versus, um, you know, someone one of the other running backs for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you, so, yeah, you can't just say the offensive line is doing it all for him because they're literally like the stats show that they're absolutely not. They're doing a lot, and they've been really good. But I mean, yeah, they're making the holes, but. They're they're not. I mean, they're fifteen yard runs with the other backs. They're seven. Yeah, runs right. Exactly. Side. Yeah. So, I mean, again, he's he's looking good. Um, to to kind of go to the other side of the of the play calling sphere. So, as far as Neuer goes, <laughs> do you? Th- we we texted about this a little bit. Do you think it's because he was playing the three, I mean, that both Arizona and San Diego State run that three three five. You brought this up. I didn't think about it until you mentioned it. Was it because he's gone two straight weeks against the three three five, which is a unique defense? It's kind of weird to prepare for, and it's focused on stopping, you know, any kind of downfield 
big explosive passing plays? Or is it teams have kind of figured out Sam Neuer because they've got, at that point, two games of film, three games of film on him? Or the third the third side of that is Chev. Are we seeing 2018 Chev reminiscence again? Um. Okay, so, so obviously, like, I'm not... A, f- a football expert all the way through like i've watched a lot of it but i can i can just say from from my personal like what i've seen and my opinion on it is i just think neuer right now has this feeling of wanting he like i know in his mind he's thinking what he did for those first two games like he wants to keep it up and then he didn't have a great mm-hmm. game against san diego state and i'm sure he's thinking about that i mean i know he said like he said to Carl Durrell at one point, like, I will, I'll be better than this next time, which, you know, is totally normal. But I know he's thinking about it. Like, I didn't play well and I have to be better. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think he he's trying to make a big play when he doesn't necessarily need to. Like, you have a running back that's capable of a 300-yard game. You don't, you don't need to force it. But um, right. I, so I think that's part of it. I think... The defense is also part of it. I do. I mean, he did. I I was talking about it to you, but when you watch those two interceptions he had today back, both of them came when Arizona dropped eight guys into coverage. So he wasn't like, like he just got a different look where there was probably not a lot of openings. And I think hopefully in the future, he'll kind of look around and, and decide to run with that ball because there's just not going to be as much pressure on him. But um, yeah, I, I, so that that's an issue, I guess, that he made those choices. But I think it's understandable. Like he threw to a covered receiver, but all of his receivers were covered. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And then as far as the Chev stuff, like I I do this one. I said after the last game, I'm not going to be worried about Chev after that one because San Diego State was weird and they just had no time to prepare. Um, I'm a little bit more worried after this one only because I think a lot of the problems with the offense in the first quarter came from the decisions that he was making as a play caller. Like, I think you like that random ass receiver screen. Yeah. Like pass, pass double, double pass. Like, (laughs) I just feel like teams who do that are teams that don't have players that are special, right? Jarek Broussard is special. Like, you're playing a team that can't stop the run. I I personally, if they had gotten zero points and it was because they just were so run heavy in the first quarter and they needed to mix it up, I would be, I, I mean, obviously I'd be frustrated, but, like, I would understand that. I would. I would understand that decision making. The fact that they had zero points because they were doing, like, wide receiver jet sweeps and they fumbled or that weird double pass that was not a good play that ended up being nothing Mm -hmm. or Neuer passing and throwing an interception like all that stuff to me is just stuff that he didn't need to do and I felt like he was just trying to be creative and he just didn't need to be (laughs) I guess so that worries me a little bit but also on the other hand like I feel like he's had a couple games now where he knows he can just lean on the running game and and that'll take him carry him to victory which i think is good to see like he obviously made an adjustment went run heavy and it worked so 
Um, I think it's like a little bit of everything, I guess. That's like a really long-winded answer, but I do. I think it's yeah. like a little bit of every column that you mentioned. And, you know, it's it's clearly a little bit of an issue, but um, I still feel okay, I guess. Uh, Utah is going to be an interesting matchup for them, but I I feel okay with how they've played because they still have Jarek Broussard who can run for 300 yards. So, you know what? It's going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, two well, two things. First, obviously, both of us have the the Buffs game on in the background, uh, so neither of us are watching the college football playoff ranking that just came out. But we were uh, twenty one in the college football playoff ranking, so we're now ranked in all three oh, polls, nice. which is uh, cool to see. Uh, but no, anyone that knows me and, and talks to me about C football knows I'm very very quick to jump on Chev for yes, pretty much any sort of wrong yes, doing that goes on with the offense. Um, so I will, I will say I, it, it is, it is a good thing on his part that he was able to kind of adjust and just say, okay, you know what? Passing game isn't working for us right now. Obviously, Jack Broussard, the rushing game is doing well. We're just going to lean on that to get us to victory in this game. Hopefully we can kind of come back next week and see something change there in terms of the, the aerial attack, but it is, it is something to be said that he kind of just realized, okay, all the fancy stuff that I'm trying to do right now isn't working. Let's just keep it simple and run the ball. The, the other thing I was going to say about Neuer, too, is he clearly is having some issue with his accuracy passing downfield. Um, like, yes. I, I just think that's not really a good part of his game right now. So And, and I, I can respect taking the deep shots, but he just really... Like, he threw a few that weren't close. The only one that was close is the one that hit Katie Nixon in the hands, um, which, like, we've talked about Katie Nixon enough on this podcast. Yeah, we, so we, 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 we don't, talked about Katie enough we last don't, week. We don't need to go into that again, um, into what he is as a wide receiver again. But, um, yeah, he, like, he's definitely had some issues getting the ball down the field. But, you know, in my mind, like, I don't think that needs to be a part of our offense except for maybe like two plays, you know, like I, I I'm yeah. okay with us being a run heavy offense. Sam Neuer takes the ball himself a few more times a game. Um, and they do, you know, a lot of short, quicker passes so that he doesn't have to like sit back and look at a eight, eight guys dropped into coverage and try and figure out where to throw the ball. You know? Well, I mean, look, we're not an air raid team at all, obviously, no. but Washington state and USC were able to do, are able to do things like that. Obviously, USC is probably an outlier because of the athletes they have. But, okay, Washington State, who always is down in the recruiting rankings, when Mike Leach was there, they were able to, to win games by just throwing it short, quick down the field. So, I mean, it's it's possible to do. And they didn't have the running attack that CU does. So, I mean, it's not like it's like some benign concept to be like, we can't throw the ball deep very often. I think it's just, yeah, like you said, it probably doesn't need to be involved as much as it is currently maybe tone it down to like one or two times a game yeah I, and kind of go from there i was just gonna say i i feel like our big pass plays are probably more like the intermediate range you know like the 15 yarders mm-hmm. like sam's been pretty good with those but when he has to really chuck the thing i feel like he's i don't know if he's just yeah trying to throw it too hard or what but he's just been he's he missed on him at least in this game he definitely missed on him so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see if he can hit on him later but because if he could, I mean, there were there were opportunities, but you know, I I guess 
for me, it's it's hard because I feel like our our we have a clear strength with our offense, and it's not Sam Norder throwing the ball forty yards down the field. Agreed. And and look, let's not to harp on it, but maybe let's throw it to a guy that's at least as tall as the guy. Yeah, him. maybe. Yeah, yeah. That might that, that might help too. In a 50-50 ball, it might help. Yeah, him. maybe maybe some. You know, look at what USC was doing against Washington State in the first quarter, and uh, yes. yeah. Yeah, but um, all I mean, all in all, I mean, I thought the game. I thought it was refreshing to see him come back from being down thirteen nothing. Uh, it showed the team doesn't just quit. Obviously, I, I never really expected him to, but it was it was refreshing to see that. Anything anything else that you saw in this game that you wanted to kind of touch on before we hop into the to the rest of the pack here? Um. No, I, yeah, I don't think so. I guess I, I would just say the same, that it was good to see them in a different situation this time where they were down early and they were able to kind of turn it around and be resilient. Um, and, you know, the bus are 4-0, baby. Can't Four complain. Nine. All in all, like, it's still, I, I still, like, have to keep telling myself, the Buffs are 4-0. So regardless of what happens for the rest of the year, like, this season is an incredible success. At the absolute worst, winning percentage on the year is sixty-seven percent. Yeah, so awesome. <laughs> They're not going to go yeah. five and seven or like three and four, whatever the equivalent is for this year. So, exactly. Yeah. So, all, all, that's. I mean, that's that's about as good as it could be considering where we were again six weeks ago. But to to kind of jump into the rest of the Pac-12, um, starting off with Stanford. Stanford beat Washington thirty-one to twenty-six. So pretty much everybody that CU has played is trying their best to make that to make CU look even better than we already thought. I mean, Stanford's coming out beating undefeated Washington. UCLA has obviously been improving week after week. Every team, or both of those teams have, have been doing well, but Stanford, yeah, won thirty-one to twenty-six. And as is usually the case, I didn't watch as much of this game as I wanted to. But from what I saw, it kind of seemed like Stanford was really just beaten up on Washington physically and was able to kind of control the game for pretty much the majority of it. Yeah, I mean, it, Washington did the thing again where they go down big early. The yeah, they did the thing um, where they go down big early and they just couldn't make it up this time. And, and I think it really was. It was kind of on the back of a more like old school. I mean, I say old school Stanford, but really we're talking about you know, uh, like 2010s Stanford, where early 2010s Stanford, where they were a more physical, dominant, push you around kind of team. And yeah, Washington just couldn't get a handle on it. I mean, I still think Washington secondary is good, but, you know, they did let Austin Jones run for over 100 yards on him. Um, it took him 31 carries to go 138 yards. So it wasn't like insane, but. I, I did say after their game, their last game, like they can they can be run on. And it just is kind of going to show you like with these teams that are in the north that everyone thinks are these were these powerhouses like between Oregon and Washington. I think I think they just both have their problems and Washington, especially when their defense isn't shutting down the other team like their their guy, Dylan Morris I just don't... Ice in his veins? Yeah, Mr. Ice in his veins himself. 
I just don't think he's the like. I don't think he's that that incredible, to be completely honest. So he's it, he's no, not going to win the game for him. And when they couldn't, when they can't run the ball like at will, and they're relying on him to get them back into a game, it's kind of a coin flip, you know. And he was able to do it against Utah last week, despite having like three picks, and he just wasn't able to do it against Stanford this week. So, um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think all it's going to show you is, like we talked about earlier, like the Pac-12 is more competitive than people thought as far as, you know, this team that is Stanford that people were like, oh, they lost to CU, so they're not very good. Like, maybe they are kind of good. <laughs> they're they're 2-2 two and two now. So, you know, Washington's 3-1. and one. I mean, I think they're a good team, but they're just not like that that dominant team that people thought they were after they walloped Arizona the other day the other week yeah i mean look this is not the same washington defense that was carrying jake browning all over the field. no definitely not <laughs> i mean that dylan morris again like you said he's nothing special neither was jake browning but he had uh, a ridiculously good defense all 12 years that he was there. yeah so he it's just it's just a different washington team and we all have to remember they're still breaking in a new head coach a first-time head coach, which true. I mean, they have their growing pains. We saw it last year. Um, we're kind of seeing it again this year, even though he's not a first-time head coach. It's been a while, so I mean, just that's something to keep in mind. But yeah, I mean, Stanford again, making us look better, but winning thirty-one twenty-six. Um, I think as far as the North goes, it's is it going to come down to this week's Washington Oregon? Game? Yeah, it does. After Washington State lost, it's it's just a matter of whoever wins that game um, wins the North. So okay, which is pretty much status quo for the last four years. Yeah, anyways. pretty much. Yeah, but it's just been a little bit more of a a windy path to get there. Yeah. Um, and actually, the reason it is still up to this week is because the next game that we are going to go over was Cal who somehow Cal put it together to beat Oregon after being pretty terrible for most of the year to get their first win. They won 21 17. Um, I mean, it's not like Cal played like some like outlandishly good game to win. I just think that like they kind of got back to their old defensive ways and Oregon not being as experienced as they have been in years past, just kind of wasn't able to figure it out in time to win the game. Yeah, I mean, Oregon's just... Oregon kind of shot themselves in the foot a lot, to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, their defense, like the first Cal touchdown drive, there were like three different Oregon penalties that extended the drive. Um, The offense like turned the ball over two separate times, and... You know, it, it was like, it just, it felt like Oregon was better than Cal, but they just, they're just not that, that good. I mean, their defense is a problem. Like Cal's offense is not good at all. And they were able to outscore them because Oregon just struggled to get out of their own way pretty much. It, I mean, it was a kind of a classic Cal game where they said, okay, we're going to make this as ugly of a game as possible. And figure out a way to win. Yeah. And they kind of, I mean, they kind of did that. Yeah, pretty much. Especially in the second pretty half. Pretty much. They just didn't let Oregon get into their rhythm of, like, running guys off the field. And uh, and Cal was able to hang in there and pull it out. 
Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of really the main story of it. And we'll obviously kind of see how how Oregon and Washington plays out for the North. But, I mean, yeah, for for the – I watched the second half, unfortunately, which means I got to see basically nothing exciting happen for most of the <laughs> game aside from those fumbles in the second half. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it was just – it was an ugly game, and then Cal somehow was able to pull it together on defense for their first one of the year. And that's pretty much the story. Yeah, I mean it- – the thing with Oregon is if if they can run the ball really really well, they're probably going to win the game. And in this one, they were averaging like four yards per carry as a team, which is fine, but it's not dominant. And I think it it really slowed them down and made it hard for them. So I don't know. I mean, me personally, like I I kind of think Oregon's going to beat Washington this weekend, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it'll be it'll be something. I mean, I'm obviously going to watch it because who know? Depending on how the other games this weekend go, it could be one of the teams that C might be playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll we'll kind of touch on that after next week's episode or on next week's uh, recording. the uh, The next game on the the slate was Utah and Oregon State, and Utah won this one thirty twenty four. Mind you, Oregon State did not have their starting quarterback or. The second best running back in the conference, Jamar Jefferson. <laughs> yeah. First being Jared Broussard, obviously. Um, both of those were, I think, uh, I mean, I, I know, um, what's his name? Gebbia, Jebbia, however you yeah. say it. He actually was hurt, and Jamar Jefferson was out with COVID. Mm-hmm. So kind of just like an unlucky timing there. They only won, They only lost by six. And, I mean, we, we all know Jake Bentley from Utah is not a great, like, passer. So... I want to say this is more of an indictment on uh, Utah not being able to dominate more thoroughly than they did considering their two best, or at least their quarterback and their best player, arguably one of the best players in the whole conference was out for this game. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're a hundred percent right about that. It Oregon state, Oregon state is like, if you've ever watched a team's highlights, and the highlights don't look very good. <laughs> That's what Oregon State was like in this game. Like their backup quarterback, uh, Nolan, he ended up with 200 yards and a touchdown and an interception. And I have no idea how he was able to do that. Because I'm telling you, I don't throughout either. this game, like he was missing guys by huge distances, like several feet. He was missing wide receivers and like running backs in the flat and. I have I have no idea how Utah let them hang around in that game and and kind of come back late. To be completely honest, but I mean I guess they just slowed down a bit. But yeah, I, I guess for me, like I can't really take anything from this game for Utah because Oregon State, the Oregon State that they were playing, is not the same Oregon State of the last few weeks because uh Jamar Jefferson has absolutely carried them through this year and he wasn't there. So that pretty much takes away everything from uh yeah. from their offense. And I mean I th- Ty Jordan from Utah their running back I think was pretty much the main reason they were able to kind of come run away with this. There was pun unintended there. I didn't mean to, to <laughs> yeah, throw that right. in there yeah. but um he went for 167 yards average 6 yards a carry. I mean, other than him, they yeah. I mean, Jake Bentley didn't really have anything special going on. They couldn't really get anything going on offense aside from the dreaded tight end, which we're gonna talk about as <laughs> we, we we discuss the matchup versus CU. Yeah. But 
I mean, Ty Jordan really was the only thing that Utah had going for him. And aside from this last week, that doesn't scare me as a CU fan. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. I I definitely think the secret to Utah is can you stop them from running the ball? Because Bentley, I mean, he started out looking pretty good in this game. But by by the second half, yeah, he just didn't. I I don't know. He just wasn't the same guy because he did. He started out looking strong and then... I think, I don't know if Oregon State was able to just slow him down running the ball a little bit more or what, but he just wasn't as comfortable in the second half and, and just didn't look didn't look as good. So definitely, if you can make them rely on him, then they're they're not, not nearly as dangerous. Mm. Yeah, so again, I mean, kind of like you had said, don't really know how to judge Utah on this one just because, again, Oregon State missing their starting quarterback one of the best players in the conference, their leading rusher. Weird game. Um, overall, I mean, it was it was only Utah's third game, so maybe they're still kind of working out the kinks. But, I mean, CU's only played their fourth game, so it's not like they're light years behind us or anything right, like that. Right. I just think it was kind of a I, – I think this, again, kind of goes to show neither of us think that Utah is as good as – for some reason, the rest of the entire country. Does. Yeah, everyone's still stuck <laughs> on like the Utah team that's been leading the Pac-12 in a lot of ways um, for the last like couple years. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll dissect Utah a little bit more here uh, when we preview them versus us. Um, but let's uh, let's hop into the UCLA and Arizona State game. Where UCLA won twenty five to eighteen against the Arizona State COVID University Sun Devils. Um, <laughs> COVID University. Nice. DTR was finally back after being out for a couple games. Which honestly, I mean, I don't think that um, I can't. I can't remember his name already. The uh, the backup that played for him. I don't think he did anything to say that Dorian should automatically get the start. But. Um, he they they came out one twenty five eighteen and again Arizona State this is only their second game of the entire year they've been uh, hit pretty hard. Jaden Daniels looked pretty meh for the most part, and I mean again UCLA is just kind of continuously improving week over week. I honestly don't know how confident I'd be if CU were to go out to against them in a rematch just because I think they've gotten that much better throughout the season. Yeah, I mean they. They've definitely gotten better, I guess. I I do think, I mean, this is obviously hypothetical here, but I do think we still like match up pretty well with them because the run game and um, very true. Yeah, and I I do still think like our pass rush and our just our our front seven in general can generate turnovers with them. So I I kind of feel like that. Like I just don't feel like that result was a fluke. You know, like I feel like everyone's just disregarding it as a fluke, but I don't necessarily feel that way. Um, I also feel like we've been doing better at covering tight ends, so we might not get like a million yards put up <laughs> on us by that guy again. So, you know, it, it goes both ways, I guess is all I'm saying. But yeah, I know I should I should clarify. I definitely don't think it was a fluke. Like I still think we would have a good shot of winning. I just think that UCLA as a whole, as a team, has improved, whereas we've kind of improved on defense, whereas our offense has started to go downhill. Um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, bit. that's where I think it would become it'd be a little bit more of a, a toss up game than anything. But I mean, all in all, again, I, I don't really think that you can put too much blame on Arizona State for not winning this one. When again, this is literally their second game, and they probably haven't had very many guys practicing. 
for a majority of the season at this point. Um, so Arizona State at this point obviously has zero chance of making it to a bowl or anything like that, even if the bowls go on, which it doesn't even seem likely at this point. But, I mean, UCLA in general, I think, right now has probably cemented themselves as either the second or third best team in the South, depending on how the CU-Utah game and the USC-UCLA game goes this weekend. Yeah, I agree. Um, they've Yeah, they've looked pretty good. And the fact that, I mean, really... You know, they're, they're like one turnover away from beating Oregon, which, like, would be wild at this point. <laughs> um, they'd probably be ranked by now if, if they had done that. But, yeah, so they beat ASU, which, you know, in, is interesting because if you look at all the games that have been played and the teams that, like, CU has played and the teams that USC has played, ASU was the kind of the big one that, people would talk about with USC because they beat ASU and ASU is supposed to be, you know, like the, the challenger. I mean, we had even Mm -hmm. said they were like going to be the challenger in the South, but you know, now UCLA beat them. And so I feel like that kind of hurts USC's case even more as being that much better than the buffs. So I, you know, I, I think that aspect is interesting of it for sure. But yeah, I, I think, Really, the story of the game was like Jaden Daniels looked like a quarterback who hadn't played a game of football in a while, mm-hmm. <laughs> and their team just kind of looked like they hadn't played in a while. And UCLA looked like the team that had been, you know, playing for the last uh, couple weeks here, and definitely had the more experience. So, you know, I mean they they were absolutely in control. US or UCLA was at half like at halftime this game was 17 to 3 so right they were like it, it wasn't like they squeaked it out it was it was pretty it was a pretty solid win i mean i think asu got within five points but that was that was as close as it got after mm-hmm. so yeah i mean yeah this to me this does nothing to make me think jay daniels is not going to be terrifying next year sure I, yeah. I, i'm still horrified of what that guy's going to do next year and then the year after that if he decides to stay at that point but um yeah i mean dtr was kind of his old self where he looked relatively average nothing special made some runs um i don't know overall the little bit that i did watch this game i just i couldn't really make too much of a judgment on it simply again for the 15th time that i've said it asu has not played very much this season yeah and i think that's the right takeaway i mean like it was a good win for UCLA. I'm very interested in how their game with USC goes this weekend for obvious reasons. But um, yeah, I just think ASU is just too. They're just too out of it at this point. You know, yeah. Their their and last few games at this point are just like seeing what they have for next year. I feel like exactly. And honestly, I'm sure it's probably pretty hard for the players to stay motivated. Yeah. At this point, you're literally playing for. For nothing other than the last couple games of the season, there's no bowl, there's no division, anything like that. So, yeah, especially when they they probably felt going into this year like they were going to be a threat in the South, and it just didn't work out for COVID reasons. Yep, <laughs> that's just a, just a, a classic. A- ASU is like the poster child for what can go wrong in a 2020 COVID season. Yes, exactly. So, um, you know, with we'll keep an eye on UCLA as they go up against USC this weekend, but. Uh, last game of the slate was one, and honestly, this game did not scare me as much as I think it scared a lot of people that 
we're watching hoping that UCLA has a shot this weekend because I don't think my opinion really has changed. But Washington State lost to USC 38-13, and this one is honestly over in the first quarter. Um, this is the one game out of all of these where I watched the entire – I mean, I watched every single play until the end of the first half because at that point it was clearly over. But, I mean, USC kind of came out – I mean, they came out looking good, but I also think a lot of it was Wazoo could not get a break to go their way. Um, their quarterback, Jane Delora – through two straight picks on two consecutive drives. One of them was just a ridiculously insane play where he, the I think it was a linebacker that just kind of ripped it from somebody's arms. Overall, I mean, at that point, USC already scored on offense. They get two straight takeaways, and then it was 21 nothing, kind of in the blink of an eye. And at that point, I think the the Washington State team was just kind of like so shell-shocked. Shell there was not really any coming back at that point. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was like the first drive that Washington State had, they were moving the ball, and then they turned it over on downs. And then pretty much from every moment from that point on, it just all went so, so bad for them. It was like a touchdown USC, and then the next drive, Washington State went three and out, and I think they had a wide receiver drop a pass, and then it was touchdown USC, and then interception, and then touchdown USC, and then interception, and then touchdown USC. <laughs> And at that point, it's 28 to nothing. And, you know, I mean, they just, yeah, it was 35 to zero at one point before Washington State finally scored a touchdown. Um, but, and then missed the extra point just to like really kick them in the balls. Um, <laughs> they didn't even need the extra point. It didn't matter. Yeah. No, it didn't matter at all. But, it, but just to be like, wow, this really sucks. Like nothing is going our way. They missed the extra point off the upright. Um, and yeah, and then and, and it was. I mean, it looked over, like you said, pretty much the first quarter. Amon Ross St. Brown caught four touchdowns, and it was just they were all just Slovis like floating them up there to him, and he just completely jumped over the defender every time. They just couldn't stop him. I, I will say it looked like a combination of Washington State looked rusty on offense for sure i mean Jaden delora mm -hmm. obviously was like making mistakes left and right but the other thing was their strategy on defense i didn't understand at all i mean they were basically like trying to bring pressure on slovis and then and letting their corners man up yeah. With, yeah with like the best unit that usc has like what do you, like, I, I didn't get that at all. They were just going to play one-on-one -on -one with all those wide receivers. Like, if CU was ever going to play USC, I would have said never rush more than, like, four guys because it doesn't matter if you get pressure on the quarterback because all the throws are, like, under seven yards. So he's going to throw them so quick it doesn't matter anyway. And just, like, drop into soft zone. That's what everyone else who had success against their offense did they just played a yeah. zone defense um yeah and washington state did not do that and they got like absolutely crushed by these guys like they were getting cooked left and right early on and slovis just couldn't miss and all the wide receivers were just eating them alive so yeah it just was like a mixture of bad strategy and horrible luck and just looking honestly just looking all around terrible for washington state and you know credit usc like Slovis definitely was hitting his 
spots. I mean, he wasn't missing. He was putting the ball right. exactly where it needed to be, but they just, yeah, Washington State just looks so bad. Yeah, when when you when it, the game starts like that, it's really hard to come back at any point in the game. Yeah, when it rains, it pours. You know, yeah, that's what it was like. I mean, at one point, it, like I mean, you had mentioned Amon Ross St. Brown had four touchdowns in the first quarter. Those were his only four catches in the first quarter. Yes, he, he only had four catches, four touchdowns. Yep, and it it really was like. Two of his touchdowns were just I'm better. He's better than my guy's better than your guy. I'm gonna throw it up and he's gonna go get it, and he did. Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty much exactly what their game plan was on offense. And you know what? I will say credit to USC. They did what I was saying they should have done in the first place, which was that first half they just threw it like every play. They were just mm-hmm. like, forget it. We're not gonna run the ball right now. We're just gonna throw it over them every single time, and that's what they did. And didn't seemed like they were trying to establish the run too much at all and uh i mean you know they ended up running it more later but they still they threw it 33 times and they only ended up running it 20 in the whole game and granted they only had five yards rushing so they didn't do it very well <laughs> but um they definitely seemed to just say forget it i don't care about running the ball we're just gonna kill them with the pass so Honestly, I think that's when they're the most dangerous. I feel like they should have done that in their first couple of games, but they never never did. So that'll be interesting to see like how they play UCLA, if they try to run the ball again or if they just abandon it altogether and throw it a million times. Yeah, and I mean, like, I mean, kind of like you had mentioned now, that how Washington State just had a terrible game plan going into it. I don't think, UC- I think UCLA, if that was even a, a thought in their mind, they saw this game and said, yeah, we're scrapping that. So yeah, that's I don't think that's going to be how UCLA comes out, and so I, I really do think that that's going to be a a game where even though USC obviously, as is the case in every single game they will play pretty much every year, um, well, and, and, unless Clay Helton stays for much longer than it, at some point it's going to come back to the norm. But they have the better athletes. It just comes to are they going to play to their talent level or they're going to play to the talent level of the team across from them. And so UCLA and UCLA themselves is relatively talented. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a legitimate contest. And I don't, I don't, I don't think USC is going to come out and just blow somebody's doors off like they did for Washington state this weekend. Yeah. I would be surprised for sure. So that, uh, that covers this week's games. Um, let's, uh, let's hop into the CU Utah preview. Um, both of us forgot that this game was on uh, Friday night, so that'll be nice. We'll be on some national television. I think it's Fox Sports 1. Uh, I mean, I guess the Pac-12 as a whole has been on national television for the first time since it's been the Pac-12, which has been nice. But um, 7.30 on Friday, Mountain Time. We kind of touched on Utah a little bit earlier. I mean, they're they're really the same team that they are every year, whereas they're going to try and beat you on the line of scrimmage they're going to come out and probably be the most physical team you play all year. And the question is, can CU handle that and come back and really just push back on the line of scrimmage to the point where they can run the ball like we have been the past four games? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what it comes down to against Utah. That's like the whole game is, can we run the ball and can we stop the run? <laughs> it's like, uh, I guess it's an oversimplified version of it. But really, I mean... 
that's when our offense is good, it's because we're running the ball effectively and we can throw off of that. And when it's not, it's because Broussard isn't getting 12 yards per carry. He's getting like three point something, you know? So yep. can they still create those openings with the offensive line? Can, can Broussard still get those chunk plays down the field? Can they throw off the play action and all that stuff? And then, yeah, on defense, can they keep Utah from running the ball and, and force Jake Bentley to try and make some plays in some third and long situations? I feel like if they can, then they're going to be in good shape. Yeah, I mean, Utah's strength is obviously stopping the run. I mean, we, we like, uh, like we had mentioned, they're a, a top team. They're the, the top team in the conference in terms of yards per game. They're Nationally, they're doing pretty well as, as well on top of that. So, I mean, the, the question is, do we get – uh, who do we get back on the line this this week? Obviously, Chance Little um, yep. is not going to be on the line, which is unfortunate for him. But he was he was smiling on his way out, so hopefully he has a a good recovery. Whatever the injury is there, yeah, that guy's but, a warrior. Yeah, he I mean he's a Viking. He's a literal yeah. Viking. <laughs> um, <laughs> but do we get Colby Purcell back? Um, who was who else was or was it just him that we were missing for this week then? Um, well, it was, it was Purcell and then, um, was, Oh, Kari Kutcher's out too. Yeah. I was going to say, cause Giants was playing center. So, yep. yeah. So do we get those two guys back? If we do, I mean, I think they've shown to this point, especially, I think the most impressive thing is that C has been able to mix guys around because of injury on the offensive line and still get a solid push in every mm-hmm. game so far. So I like, the their chances against Utah. Granted, that again, this is a really good defensive line as always, but I like their chances if they can do that with a mash unit essentially in the offensive line. If you have four out of five starters back, I really think that they have a good shot of at least being able to hold their own, if not win the line of scrimmage offensively. Yep, I agree. I I mean, you know, they seem like they've been able to run it on pretty much every team they played, except for uh, San Diego State in like that fourth quarter when mm-hmm. they just 100% sold out on the run. So um, as long as they can make that happen, then I'm feeling good. I mean, I, I will say, I think going forward, we can't have, like I was saying earlier, we can't have Sam Neuer throw for under a hundred yards and throw two picks and, and win these games. Um, mm-hmm. I do think he's going to have to be able to do more than that. I'm hoping that he's going to be able to do that fairly easily because I think teams will really just oversell the run. I think they'll probably try to try to force it to be Sam. And in that situation, I feel like we do have the weapons on the outside to be able to make that happen. And I, I think if he's not getting a ton of people dropping back into coverage, I think he's a lot better at being able to identify receivers who are going to get open and anticipating throws. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we really only saw people dropping eight into coverage the last two games. I mean, if we look back to the first two games, yeah, pretty much. The reason he was able to be successful was because he was getting guys in one-on-one coverage for the most part. And I, th- I mean, granted, the last two games haven't shown it, but we've got playmakers at receiver, and he was able to find guys on in, in open space because they were able to break break free from their defender. Now. When you're dropping eight, I don't think many quarterbacks are going to have a ton of success. Like, granted, I don't think they're going to throw for less than 100 yards and throw two picks, but um, I think those guys, those two teams, for whatever reason, 
were really keying on on the pass in those certain situations, especially in the first half. San Diego State was doing that a lot. But I think Utah is going to kind of look and say, what has made this team successful? It's Jarek Broussard. It's the run game. We got to stop that first and foremost and make Sam Nora beat us. Yeah, I think that's what they're going to try to do for sure. Yeah, so if if I mean if we come out and we're able to run the ball, that's going to be really good news as Buffs fans because that means we don't have to worry about them forcing it to be all on Sam Neuer. Not saying that he can't necessarily do it, but I mean, let's let's be honest. As much as we've loved how the first four games have gone, Sam Neuer is good at being kind of like a running QB with the the threat of being able to hit open guys, he's not like a, I mean, he's not an air raid quarterback or anything like that. He's not going to pick you apart all game long. No, definitely not. So that's as that for the offensive side of the ball. That's kind of how things are going to go on, or at least we think things are going to go on that end defensively. What, I mean, what are you most worried about? Cause I can tell you, we probably are thinking the same thing, but I want to hear what you're thinking, what you're most worried about here. Uh, what I'm most worried about defensively? Yes. Um, well, you know, it's actually it's kind of funny. I don't know that we will have the same thing. But um, just from watching their last game, well, actually, you're probably going to say a tight end, I would think. Yes. Right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, go, I'll go a different way. But um, so I'm actually – so I'm actually a little worried about something different. Um, I noticed, and I think a couple other people noticed too, with our special teams, we had a couple punts that were not high and mm-hmm. kind of like line drive kicks that gave people a chance to return. And Utah has this guy named um, Britton Covey who returned a punt for a touchdown in their last game and is like clearly a pretty dynamic, very fast, like just one of those return guys that you see um catch the you see start to get ahead of steam in front of him and you're like oh no he might take this all the way so um i'm worried about him about him there also as a receiver i mean just in general like he's just one of those guys the fast like really just quick guys that if they have any green grass in front of them you get scared so um he's kind of the guy that i'm highlighting i guess for for our defense you know i'm I'm worried, like I said, our, our corners have played better. Um, but, you know, if, if we get a, a guy who's a real speedster out there, I know we've had safeties match up one-on-one with guys a few times, and they haven't handled it very well. So um, I would say he worries me the most as far as, like, their their weapons um, for sure. I mean, the most outside of just the fact that there's a tight end on the other team that they throw to, which you can talk about. Yeah, I mean, well... Real quick on Brit Britton Covey, as he's one of those guys. Does he not seem like he's been there forever? Yeah, yeah, he just like randomly pops up, and you're like, huh, and what? he's only a junior, which I thought I was like, there's no way he's not a senior, but somehow I guess he's only a junior. Yep. So he's been there for five years. Uh, it feels like, but yeah, I mean, like you said, I'm worried most about the tight end. He's their leading receiver for the year, Brant Queeth Cooth. I don't know how you say his name. I want to say. This is not the same douche that we all remember from last year, um, taunting CU throughout the game. Oh, I believe, yeah, I don't know. I believe it's a different guy. But, yeah, I mean, this guy, again, Utah's not a great throwing team, so he's only got 16 receptions, and that's their leading receiver. But 
you can almost guarantee that they've seen how CU defends tight ends in the first two games because the last two teams didn't have great receiving threats at tight end. And they said, well, if those guys can do it, we can too. So yeah. they're going to come out. I would look to, I would expect him to get a lot of targets. Um, the Ty Jordan, their running back, doesn't really scare me that much. I mean, he's got like, I mean, he's averaging 6.7 yards of carry. So yeah, he, he was the other guy I was going to talk about, but I think that's more of a scheme thing than like a being worried about him specifically. I just, they need to key in on him because so much of what Utah does relies on him running the ball well. Yeah. Look, like, I mean, look, you, you take the, the first quarter of the UCLA game away, which I think we're a little shell-shocked to come out for that start, and you take that away, and CU has been you mean really the dominant. Arizona game? Why do I keep saying that? You're thinking. <laughs> I don't know, man. The, the Arizona UCLA game. on your mind. <laughs> I'm just really pulling for UCLA this weekend, yeah, so I'm I thinking know. about it. Yeah. Um, against the Arizona uh, squad, I mean, this team has been very dominant against the run, Teams have kind of had to go away from it, aside from San Diego State, who just really wanted to stick with it, I guess. Um, that I, I think they're going to see what happened in the first quarter in film this week, and they're going to say, okay, we know what happened. We can't we can't let Utah do that because, like you said, everything that Utah does starts with the running game. So if Utah's able to run all over us, that's going to be bad, bad news for the whole game. Yeah, absolutely. But as far as – I mean, is there anybody else that you're – you really worried about? I know you said you're going to mention Ty Jordan, but I think for the most part, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's a scheme thing more than anything. Um, they've got some capable guys that can run. Jake Bentley's a runner as well. Yeah. But is there anything else that kind of scares you about this game? Um, not really. I mean, like I said, just I'm going to be keeping a close eye on the line of scrimmage and seeing how our O line does and seeing how our how how they do against that D line and vice versa. You know, so. It's gonna be another one that's gonna be one in the trenches. <laughs> I would, I do, I do have to say, can we please, for the love of God, get Demetri Stanley back involved? Oh yeah, that would be nice if he could like have more than one catch. He did drop a ball early on in in their game. Yeah, he did. Um, which was unfortunate, and it wasn't it wasn't a perfect throw. I mean, it was it was low, and he had to go down to get it. But you know, probably catchable. You would say, I'm sure. He, Especially for Demetri Stanley, he yeah. yeah expects to catch that, but. Yeah, if, if I would I would love to see um, them establish the run early and let Sam get a couple of easy completions off of some play action or something rolling out of the pocket and just get just start out start out firing, you know. Quote unquote rhythm throws. Yes, quote unquote rhythm throws. But just like just just within the course of the offense. I don't want to see any wide receiver uh jet sweeps because even if they work like we don't need them i don't want to see any weird trick plays i don't want to see any of that just give the ball to Derek broussard a bunch and then pass off of that always <laughs> that's uh, all i want we we did it a cup like i, I want to say three two or three times it was run against arizona got the got it right this time um i, I really want to see read option where sam keeps the ball yes Hundred um, percent. I mean, because the, the the big runs he had against Arizona were all like QB power. So um, people are gonna key on Jarek Broussard, use that to your advantage, and run a read option. Because I guarantee, if you run it four or five times, one of those times they're gonna mess up, and that's gonna be at least a ten yard gain. Yep. Totally agree. So, 
Um, as far as as far as the predictions for the game, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take it away first, Chase. So I think this one's gonna be lower scoring, probably. That's just the way that the Buffs games have have trended, and most and I think just the mm-hmm. way the two teams play together. Like I just don't think there's gonna be a ton of points, um, unless someone really messes up. But yeah, so I I think I I had twenty four twenty one buffs in here. I think it's going to be a little closer, just because again, just the nature of how the two teams are. It's going to be a lot of running. It's going to be a lot of tough defense. Probably tough sledding for both teams for for a good portion of it here. Yeah, I oh I almost was going to go with twenty four twenty one, but um, I was thinking about it. I was thinking more like a twenty one seventeen kind of game. Yeah. Um. So I, I'm taking CU in that. I should be. I should clarify. I think CU is going to win twenty-one seventeen. Uh, probably not going to be the the prettiest game, but I'm fine with that. I I kind of love those games. I know a lot of people don't, but those are the kind of games that I, I love to see. So, I mean, just keep stacking wins. Just keep keep the train rolling, man. Just win on Friday, and then we can all sit back and watch on Saturday and root for UCLA for a day and see what happens. That would be that would be a great start to the weekend if we could pull this off and then just kind of leave it. I mean, it, it sucks that we have to leave it up to another team, but, I mean, at, at that point, what else can you do? Yeah, at this point, I'm not worrying about, like, let's just say we aren't getting screwed yet. You have to win first. So right. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, I hope they win. I think it would be great if they could pull it out, but. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to Saturday sitting on my couch and watching UCLA take down the Trojans. If, if we can't do it, somebody's got to. Yeah, right. Please. Yeah, but that'll do it for, uh, for this week's episode. Thank you, uh, as always for listening. Yep. And as always, again, uh, review, subscribe, tell your friends, we're talking buffs every week of the season, and it's been a good one. So why not, right? Um, just tell one friend. One friend. Just, just tell one friend. Yeah, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. But uh, as always, thanks for listening. Sco buffs. Sco buffs. Just win, baby. <laughs>